Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. We're in week number seven of our series, The Fullness of Life, from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. And as we've been studying, the ESV calls it an abundant life, a life which is victorious, overcoming, and fruitful, and not just someday in the sweet by and by, but right here, right now, today. And one of the elements of this fullness or abundance is the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, I'm going to read that for us right now. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so today, we're going to take a deep dive into the second fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. But before we do that, would you please join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing on our speaking and our hearing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such an important message. It's a very personal message for me. And God, I pray that you would show up big. I need your help. We need your help today to truly discover what it means to be people of joy. Um, We live in a world with a lot of hard stuff that wants to steal our joy. And so God, would you please teach us this morning, help us this morning, empower us this morning to overcome and to be people of joy. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. amen, amen. Well, those of you who know me well know I like to a lot of times begin discussions with this. On a scale of one to 10, One being the worst and 10 being the best. And the reason I love that question of on a scale of 1 to 10 is because it really helps to kind of cut to the chase and nail people down. It's like, where are you at today? And tell me why. And so I've got one of these questions, church, for you today. And it is this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how is your joy? On a scale of 10, good for you. Good for you. I'm not a 10, but good for you. That's wonderful. In fact, I've even got a little chart that might help us a little bit. Some of you see something like this at the doctor's office, right? And this one actually goes from zero to 10. I hope none of you are a zero today. If you are, we'll try to do something about that. But, you know, on one end of the scale is depressed, somewhere in the middle is content, and then at the far end is elated or exuberant. And so Julie is elated and exuberant. Good for you. Good for you. And that chart raises an important question for us today, which is how much joy should we actually expect in this life? As I mentioned in my prayer, um, there's a lot of hard stuff that goes through our experience here on this earth. Life is hard, filled with pain and disappointment, let alone just the, the fatigue of the daily grind. Should we really expect exuberant joy in this life? Jesus answers that question in two places in John's gospel. In John chapter 15, verse 11, He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then one chapter later, John chapter 16, verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So according to Jesus, 
Our joy is meant to be full. On the joy scale, we're meant for exuberance and elation. We're meant for an abundance of joy. In fact, joy is to be one of the defining characteristics of the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Joy is to be one of the defining characteristics of the kingdom of God. If you look at Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting that the first evidence of faith that we talked about last week was in the presence of God's kingdom was love. Love is evidential of our faith in Jesus Christ. But a close second, I believe, as exhibited here in the fruits of the Spirit, is joy. Fullness of joy. God's kingdom is to be known for fullness of joy. And so it therefore comes as no surprise that one of Satan's greatest priorities is to steal our joy. His primary weapon is depression. To drag us down into the abyss of gloom and despair, far from elation and exuberance and into the bondage of depression. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Because depression is a daily battle for you, just as it is for me. See, the fact of the matter is that I battle depression and joy is for me a struggle. And some of you are like, Aha, uh-huh. now it makes sense, right? Now we get it, and uh, look at that face. That is not the face of joy, but it's my face. And I think this is why one of my ministry heroes is a gentleman named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Have you heard of him? Some of you may read a devotional that he wrote years ago, and it is still relevant and widely read today. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. He lived from 1834 to 1892. He pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which was a 19th century megachurch in London for 38 years. And it was said of him that his oratory skills held his listeners spellbound. That's just how good of a preacher he was. And again, even today, his devotional writings are very popular But Spurgeon fought many personal battles in his life. He was plagued by great physical and mental anguish. Once it was expressed this way, he wrote, Who can conceive the anguish of my sad spirit? I refuse to be comforted. Tears were my meat by day and my dreams my terror at night. I felt as I had never felt before. My thoughts were all a case of knives, cutting my heart in pieces until a kind of stupor of grief ministered a mournful medicine to me. Here my mind lay like a wreck upon the sand, incapable of its usual motion. I was in a strange land and a stranger in it. My Bible, once my daily food, was but a hand to lift the sluices of my woe. Prayer yielded no balm to me. Broken in pieces all asunder, my thoughts, which had been to me a cup of delights, were like broken glass, the piercing and cutting miseries of my pilgrimage. Those are not the words of someone who is being exuberantly joyful. One author said this of Spurgeon, said, day and night he could not escape his haunting thoughts, even while he tried to turn his thoughts to Jesus and the love of God. He couldn't think straight. He couldn't pray. He couldn't find comfort. His depression was so severe that the deacons wondered if he'd ever be able to preach again. His wife, Susanna, feared he would lose his reason entirely. 
Again, this is C.H. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the pastor of a 19th century megachurch in London for 38 years, battling depression and mental anguish. Joy was a struggle for him as it is for me, which may cause some of you to ask right now to say, okay, Chad, well, maybe somebody else should preach this message on joy, right? How can a pastor who struggles with depression speak with authority about joy? I think that's a fair question. And my answer to that would be, my struggle with depression, I believe, has uniquely qualified me to speak with authority about joy. Because you see, I've been there. I've been where many of you are. I've been in the depths. I've been in the darkness, not wanting to even get out of bed and face the day. There were days in our season in California where I was trying to sort through a lot of this, where it was just overwhelming just to get up and just to do what needed to be done, let alone pastor a church, let alone show up on Sunday morning and preach, overwhelmed by even the smallest of tasks. And to use a military analogy, do you want to learn warfare tactics from someone who has only been in the classroom or someone who's been on the battlefield? I come to you today from the battlefield with some scars and some lessons learned along the way and with the testimony that by God's grace, I am experiencing more and more joy. Believe it or not, think how bad I used to be, okay? And perhaps even approaching, approaching where Julie is in elation and exuberance. But my serious face may hide it at times. So, um, the goal for today's message is to encourage you with fresh hope on your journey to fullness of joy, because this could potentially be the fruit of the Spirit that brings the most condemnation. What's your problem? You know? And I know for myself, um, there were many, many days of heaping guilt upon myself for lack of joy, lack of joy. And so, as we seek to fulfill this goal for today's message, to encourage you with fresh hope on your journey to fullness of joy, we're going to look at four aspects of joy. We're going to look at joy defined, joy illustrated, joy commanded, and joy practiced. And so let's look at the first of these, joy defined. Our English word joy comes from the Greek kara, kara which um, really splinters off into lots of different words, including gift, or grace, gift or grace. And I think that this root word for joy is significant for two reasons. Number one, it teaches us, I believe, that joy itself is a gift. Joy itself is a gift. For Jesus says in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants to give us his joy. He is the source. It comes from him. It is a gift. It is a fruit of the Spirit that we as branches bear as we abide in him, the vine. And so that just really gets down to the nitty-gritty of kara in the first significance of that word, that joy is itself a gift. The second thing of significance, I believe, from that Greek word is that joy is our glad response to the gift of God's grace. 
Joy is our glad response to the gift of God's grace. So true joy is really rooted in our identities as children of God who have been saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And so in light of the gracious gift that we have been given, we respond with joyful gladness. That's what joy is ultimately all about, the fact that we are children of God. We have been marvelously and graciously saved from condemnation, and now we we were once enemies we were once enemies with god now we are his friends so this is the second significance of that word joy coming from the greek kara joy is our glad response to the gift of god's grace and so when we put this together I arrive at this definition joy god giving us the gift of gladness to respond to his gift of grace God giving us the gift of gladness to respond to his gift of grace, which is so awesome when you think about it. It it highlights just the giving nature of our God. He gives and he gives and he gives. He is such a gracious gift giver. He not only gives us the gift of salvation, but he even gives us the appropriate response to that gift of salvation, giving and giving and giving, resulting ultimately in his intention for us to have exuberant joy. So with that being said, joy is a uniquely Christian experience. By that definition, if you are outside of God's fold, if you are not a part of his family, the body of Christ, having been marvelously and wonderfully saved, you cannot know this kind of joy. It is reserved for God's children, and it is a fruit of the Spirit dwelling in us. With this in mind, it's important to identify a few things that joy is not because those could be confusing. First of all, what joy is not, um, joy is not a personality trait. Joy is not a personality trait. Some of you are just naturally party people, aren't you? Where's the party? I'll be there. All right? And that's just your extroverted, bubbly, energetic self. Your personality is best illustrated by the character Tigger. Right? You got some Tiggers in your life. Some of you are Tiggers. You bounce and you bounce and you bounce, popping out of bed with a smile on your face and a song in your heart. And for those of us who are not Tiggers, we kind of want to kill you. All right? Um, That's your personality. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not joy. Okay? That's not joy. Um, Because the rest of us are more like this fellow, um, Eeyore, right? Where are my Eeyores? Yeah, good. I'm not alone. Good. Introverted, reserved, seemingly a bit melancholy. What's up with the pink bow, anyway? I just have never quite gotten to the end of that. Um, Certainly not bubbly. No one's going to accuse us of being bubbly. Um, But that, being an Eeyore doesn't necessarily mean that you lack joy either. That's another personality style, a personality trait. Tigger, or joy goes much, much deeper than our personalities. You can be a Tigger or an Eeyore and not be a member of the body of Christ, not be part of his family. The good news is that joy is possible even for us who by personality are Eeyores, okay? We do not have to be guilty that we're not Tiggers. So what joy is not, joy is not a personality trait, nor is joy happiness, nor is joy happiness. Now, there's, there's debate about these terms in the religious literature. Some assert that we make a false distinction between happiness and joy, and I get what they're saying, but I, I believe the distinction between these is valid based on how we define the terms. And so I would define them like this. Happiness is natural. 
Happiness is natural. It's natural to be happy when things are going your way, right? When you get a good report from the doctor, how do you feel? Happy. Or you get a raise. Or your team wins. It's naturally to be happy based upon those favorable circumstances. But what about when your team loses? As half of you will be next week when Michigan plays Michigan State and the other half. Um, Or you get fired. Or when you get a bad report from the doctor. What then? Not happiness, because happiness is dependent upon present circumstances. Therefore, it's transitory. Happiness comes and goes. It is dependent upon what is going on in your life. Wouldn't it be nice if there was something deeper than happiness that gave us a steadfast confidence that regardless of our circumstances, all is well? All is well. Wouldn't that be nice? Something supernatural, not dependent on our circumstances. And the fact of the matter is, there is. And that is joy. That is joy. Happiness is natural, but joy is supernatural, as evidenced by the fact it is the second fruit of the Spirit. The supernatural nature of joy is expressed in 1 Peter 1.8, where it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's way beyond something natural. It's way beyond happiness. This is something supernatural. This is a gift from God himself that transcends our circumstances. And it is so significant that that same Spurgeon that I mentioned earlier, who battled depression, said this. Believers are not dependent upon circumstances. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. Not from what they enjoy, but from that which was suffered for them by their Lord. I think that is a profound statement about the nature, the supernatural nature of joy. So with this in mind, by God's grace and his supernatural power, we are even able to do what we are commanded in James chapter 1, verse 2. You know that passage? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's not natural. That's not natural. That is supernatural. That's not happiness. That is joy. God giving us the gift of gladness in response to his gift of grace, regardless of the present circumstances in our lives. And so that is joy defined. Let's talk about joy illustrated because there are some marvelous examples of joy in the scriptures. And the first of these I would mention is the Jews. The Jews. Boy, you talk about a people of pain and tragedy and heartache and hardship and yet so much joy. So much joy rooted in their identity as God's people. My understanding is that no language has as many words for joy and rejoicing as does Hebrew. Think about that for a minute. No language has as many words for joy and rejoicing as does Hebrew. And so they're known as a people that are constantly having celebrations and parties, right? The Jews. And some of this was by God's design. I think he knew that they would need to be intentional about rejoicing and celebration. So he kind of factored it into their calendar and said, hey, you need to rejoice here and here and here and here. You need this because 
there are hard things that you're going to go through. And church, I think we can learn an important lesson from them. We've we got to get better at celebrating. It's not our forte, is it? And maybe some of that's my fault, right? But we've got to get better at being partying, celebrating people because of all that we have been given by God's grace. The celebrating of the Jews was also in contrast to other peoples of ancient faiths at that time, which were very somber and morose. And again, in contrast, you have the Jews illustrating for us that the people of God are to be known for joy. Nehemiah 8.10, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So we have the example of the Jews. The second illustration is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus was so joyful that what, is it, what did his enemies say about him? He's a glutton and a drunk. That's what they accused him of. False accusations to be sure, but it illustrates for us the fact that he didn't walk around gloomy and somber, even in the midst of his painful circumstances. Rather, he was full of joy the same joy that he wants to give to us in the full. As it says in Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame it is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How does that work? Crucifixion with joy. Crucifixion with joy. How? Because his heart and his mind were set on the Father and the ultimate joy that was to come. So the Jews illustrate joy, Jesus illustrates joy, and so do the apostles. Boy, I love, I love their example. Um, Acts 5.40, a wonderful example. It says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's not natural. That's not happiness. That is supernatural joy given as a gift of God to the apostles that they give back to him. A fruit of the Spirit which was dwelling within them. So the Apostle Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. In all our affliction... I am overflowing with joy. Again, supernatural in 2 Corinthians 6.10. I love this, this seeming dichotomy, the tension that exists where it says that he is as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Some of you have been there, haven't you? Especially as you've experienced loss in your life. When we experience loss, the Bible tells us that we're able to do so differently than the world. We do it as those who have hope rather than those who do not have hope. We can be sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Again, very supernatural, not natural. So, that is joy defined, joy illustrated. Next, we run into the issue that joy is a command. Joy commanded. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. Always. And then Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So there's three times, anyway, where um, very intentionally the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, it's a command. 
It's a command that we rejoice. These verses teach us that just as love that we talked about last week was volitional, a matter of the will, so is joy. We must choose joy regardless of our circumstances or feelings because the fact of the matter is that in the natural, when we're going through difficulties, we're not necessarily going to feel joyful and yet we are commanded to be intentional about making the choice to rejoice. Now that is not denial of our circumstances. It is acknowledgement of the circumstances, but it is acknowledging a God who is bigger than our circumstances and the ultimate joy that is to come. Like every other command that God gives us, it's for our good. It's for our good. It is a fruit of the Spirit, completely dependent upon the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, given when we abide in Him. So, that is joy defined, joy illustrated, joy commanded. Now, let's talk about joy practiced, and this is where we really get down to the nitty-gritty, and you'll probably have lots to talk about at lunch today, okay? Um, We want to be very practical in regard to joy. And the place that we want to begin is joy practiced, joy practiced in soul care, in soul care. For while joy is a gift from God, I want to keep coming back to that and saying it over and over, the fact of the matter is we must position ourselves to receive the gift. We must position ourselves to receive the gift. And the first way that we do this is through soul care and specifically the spiritual disciplines. Now, I would hate for it to come across as superficial and trite by saying, all you have to do is read your Bible and pray more. Because I've been there, okay, when it comes to dealing with joy and depression. But the truth of the matter is that the Word of God and prayer are absolutely essential elements of positioning ourselves to receive the gift of joy. I don't want to oversimplify it, but it is, to some degree, that simple. And I would contend that if your time spent with Jesus is superficial, your joy will be superficial as well. Psalm 1611 says this, and I think it is so good and it is so profound. This psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life in your presence, there is fullness of joy. If you want to experience the full joy that Jesus was talking about, that he intends for each one of us, there is no substitute for spending time in his presence, because that is where there is fullness of joy. Here's where it begins, spending time with Jesus. So we position ourselves to receive the gift through abiding in the vine, through spiritual disciplines. And so there's just no way around it. There's no shortcut. Spending time with Jesus is the foundation to experiencing fullness of joy. The next element of joyful soul care is spiritual community spiritual community. We were made for community. And again, for those of us who are introverts, who battle depression, this is completely counterintuitive because in the natural, what do we want to do? Withdraw, isolate. But that is a sure guarantee of joylessness. A sure guarantee of joylessness. True joy requires spiritual community. Story was once told of two gentlemen who were gathered around a fire. One of them tried to justify his lack of participation in spiritual community, and 
Um, he said he didn't really need to be part of a church to be a follower of Jesus. And it was at this point that the other gentleman, without saying a word, he took one of the logs out of the fire, separated it, left it by itself, and the men watched as the log quickly burned out and was left cold. And so it is with our walk with Christ and our pursuit of joy. We were made for spiritual community. We must invest ourselves in spiritual community. There's a depth of relationship in this that goes way beyond just showing up on Sunday morning. We were made for spiritual community. There is no joy as Jesus intended without spiritual community. So in our soul care, the spiritual disciplines are essential. Spiritual community is essential, but also spiritual rest. You know, it, it's, it's funny and sad how we are so gung-ho about the Ten Commandments, except for the fifth. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I know there's some debate about the application of a Jewish Sabbath in the church age, but this I know Sabbath was part of the fabric of God's creation, wasn't it? Long before there was the law, there was Sabbath, the principle of Sabbath, suggesting to me, again, that it goes very deep into our human experience. It is that important, and God had very harsh judgment. If you, if you read the Old Testament, one of the things that set God off the most in getting um, angry, justifiably so, in a righteous anger with his people was their neglect of Sabbath. He got angry with them for their neglect of Sabbath, for their ignoring the Sabbath, for rejecting the Sabbath. Why? Because they needed Sabbath. And my conviction is this, we will not know fullness of joy without spiritual rest. We will not know fullness of joy without spiritual. As long as we are ignoring, neglecting, rejecting God's principle of Sabbath and it, the importance that it is for us as his people, we're going to fall short of joy. And one of Satan's greatest strategies to steal our joy in this area is to make us busy. To make us busy. And we fill up our weekends and we fill up whatever little nooks and crannies that we have with stuff. And um, for those of you who have kids, um, I feel for you. I feel for you. Um, been there, done that. But again, I believe one of Satan's greatest strategies to stunt your spiritual growth and that of your children and your families is to make you busy with kids' stuff. Be very careful. We are long overdue to prioritize spiritual rest that will position us to receive the fullness of joy that Jesus intends for us. So, part of positioning ourselves as soul care through spiritual discipline, spiritual community, spiritual rest. These things position us to receive that gift of joy that we might be responding with gladness to the gift of grace that God has given to us. Next, joy is practiced through body care. And some of you are like, what? What does my body have to do with joy? And the answer is a whole lot, a whole lot. And here's where we need to correct some potentially faulty theology. You see, God did not create us as a dismembered soul. We live that way sometimes, don't we? Um, he created you as a soul, and whether you're a bipartite, tripartite person, he, a soul and a body, or a soul, a spirit, and a body. What's more, one day, for all eternity, guess what you're going to have? 
a body, a glorified body. What does that tell you? It tells us that our bodies matter a lot, and we need to recover some theology that says so. And they impact us spiritually, profoundly, far more than we realize, which is why it says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know? Church, I think we don't know. I think we've lost sight of this, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We typically just zero in on the, the sexual part of this, and that certainly matters, but I believe there is a whole spectrum of ways that we are meant to glorify God in our bodies, and when we transgress taking care of our bodies, there is a price to be paid, and that is often an absence of joy. So there are at least four ways that I would encourage you today to glorify God in your body, which will absolutely directly impact the level to which you are able to experience fullness of joy. I'm going to lump the first three together, food, exercise, and rest. Food, exercise, and rest. Show me a person who is neglectful of caring for their physical bodies in these areas, and I will show you a person who is not experiencing the fullness of joy that Jesus intended. When you eat poorly, do you feel good or bad? You feel bad. And when you feel bad, you're not going to, you're not going to express and experience joy as we were meant to. Same is true for exercise. The same is true for rest. Here's the dirty secret in the church. That poor stewardship of our bodies has become a socially acceptable sin. Poor stewardship of our bodies has become a socially acceptable sin. We come unglued and judgmental over certain sins, but not this one. We overlook the abuse of the Holy Spirit's temple. We got to change that. We got to change that. How you care for your physical body is a spiritual matter, it's a matter of sin. And it will have profound impact on your ability to receive the gift of joy. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Next, and this is where it's going to get interesting, all right? Number four, medication. I'm going to be way more transparent than my wife probably wishes I would be. No, actually, she's all in. She would tell you more than I would. Um, some of our brains just aren't right. Some of our brains just aren't right. The chemistry is not as it should be. Things are not firing like they should be. Now, that's just how um, knowledgeable I am of the human brain. Things aren't firing like they should be, okay? Um, when your brain chemistry is faulty, it will have a profound impact on your ability to receive the gift of joy. It took me years, but I finally came to this conclusion personally with some much-needed help from my wife. I was diligent about soul care, I was diligent about spiritual disciplines. I was diligent about spiritual community, even when I didn't feel like it. I was diligent about spiritual rest. I was caring for my physical body. And guess what? I was still experiencing profound depression. And personally came to the conclusion that depression is spiritual for all of us. All right? I would never say otherwise. Depression is spiritual for all of us, but it is also physiological for some of us. It is also physiological for some of us and therefore requiring medication, which I take daily. 
I found that the conclusion that I came to, and again, this is my experience, it may not be your experience, and I would say that we are largely an over-medicated society, so I say that with this caution, but I came to the personal conclusion that my physical body, unless something changed in it, was not able to experience the joy that Jesus intended, regardless of what I was doing in the spiritual. And when I went down the path, went down the road of beginning to take an antidepressant, I was able to experience the joy of the Lord physically in a way that I was unable to previously. It doesn't cure everything, but it equipped me or at least made it possible for me to experience what Jesus intended for me all along. Now, this is a hot-button topic in the church. I know that, and some of you will probably judge me for that practice. Um, I'm not really sure why. Um, we have no issue taking medication when something's wrong with our heart, right? When something's wrong with our blood pressure, no issue with that. But something with our brain chemistry, whoa, can't do that. Can't do that and be a Christian, certainly not a pastor. And that brain organ, as far as I understand it, far more complex than the heart. The chemistry involved, all the things that go on in there. If any of you have questions or would like to talk with me further about my journey, I'm very happy to sit down and talk with you about that. And um, yeah, some of you wish I hadn't said that, I know. You would like to unhear what you heard. Um, but I believe at the end of the day, hopefully far more of you will be encouraged and helped by that than the other. Depression is spiritual for all of us. Taking a pill does not negate all of the other stuff that we just talked about, but it is also physiological for some of us. Therefore, we must practice joy through both soul care, through the spiritual disciplines. It is in Jesus' presence that we experience fullness of joy, spiritual community and spiritual rest, but also body care, food, exercise, rest, and if needed, medication. At the end of the day, I'm reminded of the quote which says, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about, right? And of all the places in the world where there should be immeasurable grace given to one another as we fight life's battles, should it not be the church? So we give each other lots and lots of grace. So we've examined joy defined, joy illustrated, joy commanded, joy practiced. Let me close with this quote by Martin Luther and guess what, Martin Luther, another spiritual giant who struggled with depression. And he says, Joy means sweet thoughts of Christ, melodious hymns and psalms, praises and thanksgiving, with which Christians entrust, inspire, and refresh themselves. God does not like doubt and dejection. He hates dreary doctrine, gloomy and melancholy thought. God likes cheerful hearts. He did not send his son to fill us with sadness, but to gladden our hearts. For this reason, the prophets, apostles, and Christ himself urge, yes, command us to rejoice and be glad. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just acknowledge the fact that in this building this morning are many, many people who are struggling in this particular area for various reasons. And God, I, I, again, I pray against condemnation this morning. I pray that it would be a source of hope and encouragement to them, that they are not alone on this journey. 
um, and the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ that um, there is fullness of joy that you intend for us. God, where we are not positioning ourselves appropriately to receive the gift of joy, would you correct us this morning? I pray for some Holy Spirit conviction in regard to the way that we treat our bodies. I pray for some Holy Spirit conviction in regard to the way that we treat our souls. And God, I pray that First Baptist Church as a, as a collective, as a body, would give that evidence of the kingdom, which is joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.